0: hi everyone my name is sergeant Vucetic. this is race and racism today we're going to talk about identity politics so uh i have a, a bunch of very interesting readings for you today all are by women uh we're going to start with the 1977-78 Combahee river uh collective statement i'm sure uh, most of you have read it uh, especially those of you who have taken classes in fem uh, it's only nine pages long. If you if you haven't read it, if you read it, just read it again. Uh, it's it's one of the most important uh, pieces on uh, black feminism, off, off black feminism uh, ever written. Uh, second is Kianga Yamata Taylor's. Um, recent New Yorker piece that basically revisits uh, the CRC statement and, and reads it in light of our current moment, uh, moment marked by uh, Black Lives Matter, and, uh, and, uh, and what it appears to be a global a cultural revolution. Uh, third is a short piece uh, by Barbara Foley on intersectionality. Uh, it's a Marxist critique. And fourth is Alana Lenton's Chapter 3, Making It About Race. Uh, So first of all, um, the Combahee Collective, uh, who are they? Well, they named themselves after a raid that was led and conducted by Harriet Tubman in 1853 in South Carolina, along the place called the Combahee River. Uh, and, And this raid freed several hundred slaves, and that really was... Um, an attempt uh, of this collective, uh, black feminists, black lesbian feminists, I should say, uh, to name themselves after a political fa- uh, act. And this is very important to their politics, um, uh, which is identifying clearly the ways that black women are oppressed. Um, so um, the, the contributions that the Combahee River uh, Collective makes are many. Uh, So they are associated uh, with um, coining two very important terms. Uh, One is identity politics, which is the title of today's session, and the other one is perhaps intersectionality. And if you read uh, Kianga Yamata-Taylor's New Yorker piece, you will see that on, I think, paragraph, rather, yeah, in paragraph five, the very bottom, uh, she says, in describing the distinct experiences of black women who were lesbians, they pioneered what would eventually become known as intersectionality, the idea that multiple identities can be constantly and simultaneously present within one person's uh, body. Uh, So the experience of black lesbians, she says, could not be reduced to gender, race, class, or sexuality. The CRC demanded politics that could account for all and not just any aspect of their identity. So this is uh, something that you know about. Um, uh, Feminist scholars... uh, usually talk about uh, intersectionality contending that we must look at race gender and oppression simultaneously if you work for government of canada you know something about a gender-based analysis plus uh which is all the rage today trudeau the prime minister he himself used uh the word intersectionality about four times by my count and if i ask most of you you would probably not think of the crc statement you would probably think of kimberly crenshaw uh, and her 99 piece, and she uses her concept, this concept in her work, making a point uh, with an example of a group of black and Latina women in a, in a battered women's shelter taken together. The factors of race, class and gender elucidate how these uh, women ended up uh, in the shelter. The women faced abuse in part because of gender oppression, but their economically vulnerable situation and race also help us understand their situation. So if they had the economic resources, they likely would have gone elsewhere, not to shelter. But if they were white, they wouldn't face racial discrimination in employment, meaning that they might have had more resources. And if they were men, their chances of being battered would be be much lower. So any proposed method of helping these women must pay attention to their gender, class-based and racial oppression. A narrow lens that focuses just on race, gender, or class would miss these Crucial aspects of uh, of 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 these women's situations. So this is this is the the most common understanding of intersectionality, and that's why I included uh, Kimberly Crenshaw's uh, YouTube video, a, a recent one, uh, in the context of BLM, in which she talks about it. Uh, note that it's often misunderstood. People think that it's just simply adding identities together. That's not what what it meant, uh, and and that's not what the CRC statement uh, meant by it. Um, so, so that's that, that's something to, to to think about and respond to. Uh, but it's, uh, it's it's remarkable that you know forty years ago a group of radical black feminists uh, released this statement that defined their politics and, and, and described their political uh, work. And, and the fact that uh, this statement has endured as a powerful document that, that named um, uh, these multiple oppressions that the that black women face. Um, So it was a key roadmap of the political work and organizing necessary uh, to uproot all all oppression. And so it was Kianga Yamatha Taylor, who I think uh, uh, in 2016 decided uh, to provide us with a commemoration of the 40th anniversary of the Combahee River Collective in a book published in 2018, How We Get Free, Black Feminism and the Combahee River Collective. And there, uh, it's an edited volume, uh, she talks about, uh, she talks, talks to the founding uh, uh, members, uh, or three of its members, uh, Barbara Smith, uh, Demita Fraser, and Beverly uh, Smith. And you know, uh, Barbara Smith is st- still alive. She's interviewed in this New Yorker piece. She's actually on Twitter. Uh, you, can, you, know, you can probably follow her uh, and see what she says about, you know, the 2020 uh, election in the United States. So, uh, yeah, you learn that coming out of the National Black Feminist Organization, uh, they and the other members wanted to create an organization with a more radical uh, vision for liberation that addressed the multiple oppressions. Uh, and, yeah, in this book, you, you can also, uh, you know, you can find uh, uh, interviews with, with current uh, generation of organizers and activists. For example, uh, Alicia Garza, one of the founders of the BLM, uh, network and the new yorker piece uh, it's really a wonderful one uh, by Taylor in which she talks about her encounter with uh, the c r c statement um, and how she both didn't understand it at first and and also was it blew her mind uh, because she she did not connect uh, what feminism meant uh, with for example uh the struggle of her mother. Uh, a single black mom raising two kids with a bankruptcy uh, bankruptcy scuttling her credit uh, and, um, and essentially uh, dying uh, because of this. Uh, and so, you know, when she says racism alone could not explain what killed my mother. Gender was an, also an incomplete answer. It was the overlap of race, gender, and the aspirations to the comfort of a class that she poked around uh, the edges but could not ultimately break into that that killed her. Um, to kill her young. So uh, these these kind of personalized uh, essays uh, are really fabulous. And as I said in this at the volume from 2018, you'll find more of them. Um, so well, I mean, the statement situates itself uh, as as a kind of a socialist response uh, to the problems of the of the 1970s and. Uh, I, I don't know how much of this you need uh, to understand for the purposes of our discussion, uh, but this the statement was not just a document for radical black feminists. It was it was it was an important document for the revolutionary left as a political perspective or plan of action. Uh, in the nineteen seventies, it included. Areas of work that radicals could involve themselves uh, in uh, as a way to relate to the struggles of, of, of uh, black women, but also raising the level of political education concerning the conditions uh that constrained the lives of black women. Uh, so so um, the argument was that is was that orienting on the most oppressed in a society and in the United States in the 1970s, that meant black women, still means black women, uh, this would expose the injustices of the entire system. And that's, that's why they insisted. This is the famous sentence. If black women were free, it would mean that everyone else would have to be free since our freedom would necessitate the destruction of all systems of oppression. This is the quote. The liberation of black women is the genesis of human liberation. Uh, and so I've used this statement in in classes before, even on exams as a, as, a, as a point of discussion um, and and uh keep in mind that this was never a call for separatism, and this is uh what taylor in, in in her interview with Smith underscores uh they called for coalition building and recognize recognized its necessity in building movements beyond those who were directly affected. Uh, this was not easy, but it was nece- necessary if they were gonna organize struggles that 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 actually uh, won. So after forty years, these these are the analyses that are important not only in understanding the conditions that shape uh, the life and experience of the majority of African American people, but also uh, also for uh, for broader uh, struggle um, uh, against uh, oppressions that are so tightly wound into. Uh, into a polity like the United States, but not just uh, the polity uh, like the United States. So uh, Taylor is writing uh, in, the, in the context of uh, the fundamental challenge and uh, confrontation uh, with the white supremacist uh, menace epitomized in the figure of Donald Trump. Uh, and 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 she says, you know, we have to build upon what the Black Lives Matter movement has began, and in doing so, we cannot restrict our thinking to what happens uh, in 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 this election, that election, some other election. Uh, if we are thinking in those terms, we're almost certainly never thinking of how do we get free, or what would black liberation look like. And to imagine that world, uh, you don't need nostalgia for He You need. Uh, you need their politics uh, and, and they call for a revolutionary action to defeat capitalism it's a socialist platform so they're, they're socialists trying to reorganize our society so this is very different from some of the I guess uh, proposals uh, that are indirect indirect uh, that we uh, addressed in previous sessions and, and the CRC understood solidarity and coalition building again were the way forward just to underscore that and in fact, Taylor and Smith talk about that, and, and, and she wants us to understand uh, that point clearly. Uh, so, so you also hear uh, in the Taylor piece, in the New Yorker piece, uh, why, for example, Barbara Smith is pessimistic about, uh, about the Black Lives uh, Matter movement. Um, she says, uh, yeah, this is great. Uh, we now have a language. We have an analysis of what's going on with the prison industrial complex, with massive incarceration, uh, police brutality, extrajudicial murders. Um, but what's next? How do we mobilize all of this energy and actually bring about fundamental political, social, and economic change? How do we bring out this revolutionary action to defeat capitalism? Well, that's an open question, right? Uh, and uh, And, you know, you've heard this before. You know, you've heard this uh from philosophers thinkers uh cornell west's uh very short um uh youtube video i think from may uh was excellent on this says yeah you know we've been here before uh movements like this happened before uh but it's like george uh uh, uh sorry Baron shaw said the playwright uh you fail uh, you fail better, you fail again, you fail better each time you fail better and 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 maybe through through a series of failures you will um, uh, actually turn this greatest wave of protest and social upheaval in more than generation uh, into into something uh, something uh, of a revolution against the exploitative tendency of capitalism um, so that 's uh that's a little bit about the statement itself. What I didn't mention, and I should, uh, is that uh, the, it was the CRC that pioneered the notion of identity politics, and and, 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 and that's perhaps one of the most controversial and misunderstood terms uh, in all of U.S. politics, but not just U.S. politics. I mean, we, in Canada, we 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 use it uh, in all kinds of ways, uh, and and this is where uh, Taylor and Smith talk about the term uh, and the definition uh, in the statement itself is uh, is like three sentences, um, and and what uh, what Smith explains in the Taylor interview in New Yorker is that. Uh, What they really meant by that is that, quote, we have a right as black women in the 1970s to formulate our own political agendas, which is basically what uh, the Lenten book uh, is talking about as well uh, in Chapter 2 that we talked about two lectures ago. So, um, uh, even then, this was a controversial statement. It's obviously still a controversial statement. So... um, Identity politics has become so unfettered from its uh, original usage that it's lost much of its ex- original explanatory power. Now it's basically used by the right. I mean, the, the very concept is deployed by the right uh, to clobber uh, the left. Um, and I'll come back to that uh, uh, when we discuss the fourth reading, which is uh, the Lenten chapter. Um, so let's go back to this idea of intersectionality. Um, so it's when it comes to these words, uh, these academic terms, like let's say white privilege, intersectionality, they're really hard to explain uh, to, to an, let's say, a non academic person. Let's say you're talking to a broke white person, uh, male or female, about white privilege. I mean, how would you proceed uh, with such an explanation? Let's say you're talking to someone who is, I don't know, from Northern Ontario who spe- spends, you know, winters without heat and or running water, right? Um, so how do you, how do you, how do you pre- pre- proceed uh, from, from that perspective? Uh, you know, when, when, when a feminist approaches somebody and says, uh, here, uh, white privilege, uh, you have white privilege. Well, you know, this is, uh, you know, the be, well, my white skin, does nothing to prevent me from experiencing poverty right uh middle middle class educated people assume that anyone can achieve their goals if they work hard enough well folks steeped in poverty rarely see a life pass working at the gas station making the rent uh on their trailer self-medicating with cigarettes and prescription drugs until they die of a heart attack i mean that's that would be a response what are you talking about um uh, you, you don't understand what, you know, what, what it's like to be broke uh, for white folks from Northern Ontario, fictionally speaking. Uh, but now the concept of intersectionality recognizes that people can be privileged in some ways and def- definitely not privileged in others. There are many different types of privilege, not just skin color privilege that impact the, the way people can move through the world or are discriminated against. Uh, these are all things you're born into, not things you earned that afford you opportunities that others may not have. For example, citizenship, uh, having the right passport, class, being born in a financially stable family can help you guarantee you know your health, happiness, safety, education, and so on. Sexual orientation, if you're born straight, every state in the United States uh, affords you privileges uh, that non-straight folks have. Uh, or or have to fight for in the Supreme Court. Um, Sex, if you're born male, you assume that you can walk through a parking garage without worrying you'll be, you know, raped. Um, Ability, if you're born able-bodied, you probably don't have a plan, you know, you don't have to plan your life around handicap access and other special needs. And gender identity, if you're born cisgender, that is, if your gender identity matches the sex you were assigned at birth, then you don't have to worry about using the restroom or locker room. uh will invoke some kind of public outreach at you, to use a banal example perhaps. Uh, so... Um, Belonging to one or more category of privilege, especially being straight, white, middle class, able-bodied, etc., can be like winning really, you know winning a lottery, even if you didn't know you were playing. Uh, but this is not to imply that any form of privilege is that is exactly the same as another, or that people lacking in one area of privilege understand what it's like to be lacking in other areas. Um, race discrimination is not equal to sex discrimination, and and so forth. And you could say that. Uh, also, you could say that recognizing privilege does not mean suffering guilt or shame for your lot in life. Nobody's saying that straight, white, middle-class, able-bodied uh, uh, d- dudes are all a bunch of uh, uh, assholes who don't work hard for what they have, right? That's not, uh, that's, that's not the point, uh, you know, one is privileged. There are mi- million ways one can experience privilege and some that that, you know, you don't. Uh, intersectionality allows us to examine these varying dimensions and degrees of discrimination uh, while raising awareness of the results of multiple systems uh, of oppression at work. So that's basically the theory behind it. This is, uh, you know, these explanations don't always work. Now, here's where where the uh, folly and and the Lenten chapter chapter, uh, come in. Uh, even among academics, in- intersectionality as an explanatory framework has detractors. So Barbara Foley's piece uh, is is very good in that s- sense. Uh, she says that uh, everyone talking about in- intersectionality, uh, but uh, but but you know this is uh, th- this is wrong. Um, uh, a Marxist would assert the priority of a class analysis not to claim that a worker is more important than a homemaker or even that a worker primarily thinks of herself as a worker. Um, uh, It is to propose that the ways in which productive human activity is organized that is in a class-based society, compels the mass of the population to be divided up into various categories in order to ensure that the many will be divided from one another and will labor for the benefit of the few. So this class-based organization constitutes the principal issue requiring investigation if we wish to understand the roots of ro- social inequality. It's not about reducing gender to race or class to, um, uh, uh, to understand uh, modes of oppression. It's rather to insist that the distinction between exploitation and oppression makes possible an understanding of the material roots of pre- oppression of various kinds. So classism, a fre- frequently heard term, is a deeply flawed concept, right? Um, and, and and this distinction between oppression and um, uh, exploitation is often uh, uh, misunderstood. Oppression... Uh, is indeed multiple and intersecting, producing experience of various kinds, but its causes are not multiple, but singular, right? Race does not cause racism. Gender does not cause sexism. But the ways in which race and gender, as modes of oppression, have historically been shaped by the division of labor can and should be understood within the Marxist framework, Framework. a framework supplied by class analysis, uh, which foregrounds the issue of exploitation. And Marx called this profits gained from the extraction of surplus value right Uh, from the labor to those who produced the things that society seen that the society society needs so if class analysis is ignored is ignored categories for defining types of identity are themselves the product of of exploited labor and end up being taken for granted Uh, and that's the problem right so uh the the piece uh, you know, they dismiss this contemporary holy trinity uh, of, of gender, race, and class uh, or the trilogy. Um, the, this, this is, these are not causal factors. Class is the causal factor. So, that's the Marxist attack. And then Lenten comes in from a very different perspective uh, and it's, uh, it's a rich chapter like all of her chapters are. Uh, and she argues that uh, the, the left, much like the right, there is a has a dangerous tendency to downplay the effects of race by dismissing those who talk about its uh, uh, you know divisiveness. Or the you know the, the people who invoke identity politics all also are sometimes leftists. They're not just the right. Uh, so the constant production of outrage about the apparent excesses of identity politics is having negative effect on the possibilities for anti-racist solidarity grounded in. Uh, politics critical of race, right? So she explains why she should be skeptical of the intentions of those who argue for, uh, against identity politics, or, you know, let's stop making it about race, that's the title of the, of the chapter. And this is playing into the hands of the right. Uh, it's a commonplace trope, she talks about Angela Nagel's book on the online culture wars, Mark Lila's book on liberals, I'm not sure if she talks about Mark Lila, but anyway, there are a lot of kind of people on the left who are critical of the left for their so-called tendency towards identity politics, Uh, and their thesis is that uh, splits on the left are responsible for the failures of the left to make political gains, but Lenten says it may be more fruitful to ask why the white left so often fails to think about race uh, and why race matters, Uh, relabeling and dismissing anti-racism as identity politics, in fact disables uh, race critical analysis and anti-racist politics as such. And she walks you through her quarrels with social scientists and political social theorists, such as Wolfgang Stig, uh, Nancy Fraser, Asad Haider. Asad Haider gets quite a bit of a tre- treatment there. Uh, who, Asad Haider is a, is a theorist, uh, author of the book called Mistaken Identity, which is kind of like Foley's Barbara Foley's piece. So rather than assigning the whole book, obviously I assigned the, the, the shorter piece. Um, and so whenever, whenever you say, or you hear people say, Uh, I don't think race is central as, you know, uh, I think class is. Uh, Be careful. and Lenten says you're setting uh, racism up as a middle class concern uh, and economic uh, uh, hardship uh, and and with that you're refusing the fact uh, that the black people and ethnic minorities are always worse off than the rest of the population. You define the reality in which most of most uh, uh, in which most uh, people uh, who are uh, experiencing hardship in societies such as the U.S., Aust- Australasia, Europe, uh, are black, brown, indigenous, or, and or of migrant origin. Uh, so she has this wonderful um, anecdote from uh, the historian of race in class, uh, David Rodiger, who, who's writing a book uh, called How Race Survived U.S. History, which is a fabulous book in 2008 and he po- kept a post-it note with seven times just number seven and x written on it to remind himself that it was uh what was the then ratio both of white wealth over black wealth as well as of black uh, male prime of life incarceration rates over those of white male of the same age so you know he, he basically wanted a mental check on his own writing as a white man um to um uh, to prevent him from falling into that trap, to say, oh, well, it's about class. It's not, it's, you know, you got to think, uh, th- think of it uh, holistic, more holistically and certainly uh, factually. Uh, so, uh, for Lenten, and she makes this argument that you should be familiar with uh, by this time, uh, many of, uh, of the criticisms start from the premise that race is something fixed. But as she argues from the beginning, uh, the inherent instability of race and the emphasis placed in critical scholarship on race as a project and process clearly denotes that it is anything but an objective marker of identity. So W.E.B. Du Bois' uh, chapter on you know, the concept of race, he, he talks about this too when he says, um, uh, you know, those, uh, those who have suffered a long disaster and have a long uh, memory are forced to wear the badge of race uh, race is attributed not chosen uh, it must be understood relationally as a process of racialization that attached to various groups and so, of subjugated people differently but which coheres in the service of white supremacy so so Lenten basically brings you up to speed uh, uh, to her main argument to the book by by you know uh, walking you through these quarrels on the left uh, this time not just uh, with the right um, and, um, yeah, I mean, you, you will, you will, uh, understand some of the tensions of the Occupy Wall Street movement, Black Lives Matter movement, uh, other progressive movements, he introduces you to ideas known as yeah, Afro-pessimism. Uh, it's a, it's a rich chapter. You don't have to obviously respond to everything, but you can simply respond to some of our criticism. Uh, and as you're responding to other, uh, readings, uh, just think in terms of, uh, you know, the debate here, right? Who is right? Uh, are the so-called Marxist or class-based analysts right? Uh, or or perhaps are people who are insisting on black feminism right? Uh, so um, uh, think about it, respond. Um, as I said, uh, you know, you can think about these alternative genealogies of the words uh, intersectionality and identity politics, how they relate to the CRC statement, and why, you know, in fact, uh, there is uh, no shortage of pessimism um, in, uh, in, in the original group of uh, uh, luminaries of black feminism, such as Barbara Smith, uh, about the current moment. Um, so on that note, I'll stop here. Thank you for listening, and we'll talk next week again.